Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the Shy? Opportunity. Everybody get down! Walk right up to the side. A new rain is coming to the south side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply. Welcome in to a special edition of the Shooting It Straight podcast with Justin Jackson. <laughs> this is a special show because it is a live show and is a crossover with the post-game podcast, UNC uh, Inside Carolina's podcast ever after each UNC basketball game. Uh, we're reacting to today's uh, 83-81 victory for Villanova in overtime in the Battle for Atlantis tournament. lot to talk about today. Uh, UNC fought really hard in this one, but ultimately uh, they came up just a bit short. A few players fouled out and uh, Nova took it over down the stretch. Justin, what kind of jumped out to you uh, from this game today? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it's some of the points that we've talked about all, you know, the the past few episodes that we've that we've been on here um, were just, I think, ended up being like a glaring um, issue within this game. You know, one of the things that we talk about and we obviously hoped that it wouldn't be a problem, but is the size of the guards that we have on the team. And when you look at, you know, the way Villanova scored, you know, this this game first and foremost reminded me so much of, um, I don't know if you remember, but my freshman year in 2015 when we were in Atlanta, same venue, um, playing against Butler, who – by all accounts, was less talented than us, um, for sure wasn't supposed to beat us, but they were just way more physical the entire game. For 40 minutes, they just they beat us to every loose ball, offensive rebounds, defensively, they took us out of every action we wanted to run. Um, and this game really was almost a mirror for me while I was watching it. Um, and so when I watched this game, you know, you look at, how they scored the ball. I mean, they had 32 points at the free throw line. Uh, Big fella. I mean, he was unbelievable all game, really from all levels, but mainly inside. But then you look at how all the guards and the wings scored. You know, I think, you know, when you look at the box score, Villanova hit five three-pointers all game. You know, they shot 22%. So from that standpoint, you did what you were supposed to do. So then how do they score 83 total points? I mean, it was, it got to the point where they were, backing all of our guards down from the three-point line almost and just going in and scoring layups and ones, all that all game long. So 
I think that was kind of the biggest thing for me that was kind of, you know, I'd say worrisome, you know, especially when you look forward to games that they're about to have, you know, including the very next one um, coming out of this tournament and, you know, in Tennessee, it's an even more talented team that's physical, just like this Butler team. And so how, what are the adjustments? What are the things that the players themselves are going to change? What are the coaches going to do to maybe give guys different looks? So they're just not one-on-one in the post or, in certain situations where the defense is, you know, in, in a bad situation, what are they going to do to kind of mix that up? Um, so when I was watching that, obviously, I think pretty much everybody watching it, you know, that's probably what they were thinking. Um, and so, you know, it, it's that. And then it's, you know, like I said before, it, RJ and Mondo are the two main catalysts. And when those two guys don't have great games, I think there's games like this. You know, obviously Harrison did an unbelievable job. It was unfortunate that he fouled out, you know, with a little bit of time left in the second half. Um, you know, he played really well. Cormac hit some really big shots. But those two guys have to be on the floor and have to be producing and being good for this team to be as good as they can be. And you watch Mondo, um, you know, obviously everybody's going to look at the 18 rebounds and say, well, hey, he was doing his job there. But he missed probably four or five point blank layups that really for him should be what he does in his sleep. Um, and so you just kind of look, you know, that, that might seem like just a layup missed, but when you really watch it, the momentum shift of an offensive rebound to a missed layup to down. Now Villanova's going down to the other end and scoring that momentum shift is huge, especially for, you know, guys on the North Carolina side, because, okay, we just got a good shot fought, got an offensive rebound, and then we missed an easy one that we for sure thought was going in, and then they scored on us. Now it's a 4-0 swing that, you know, it's hard to come back with a team that also, you know, controls the pace like Villanova does at all times. So, you know, I think those are a few of the things, um, you know, and hopefully, you know, with these with these tournaments, the, the, the one thing you're trying to do is just trying to take whatever momentum you can from it and go forward or whatever mistakes and le- lessons that you need to learn from it. So, Hopefully they can, you know, learn from this, whatever adjustments they need to make mentally and physically. Hopefully they can do that. And, you know, it doesn't stop. You know, you're still, you know, the the all the other teams in the country aren't looking at this and saying, oh, you know, woe is UNC. You know, they're looking at it like, okay, well, next time we get our shot, we're going to try to do the same thing to them. So, you know, I think this was a, a good game to have early on. Um, I know for us, when we lost to Butler, you know, we still didn't have a great season, but I think from that game on, we, you know, we never truly had a game where we were just, you know, the other team was so much more physical than us. And that was the reason that they truly won. So hopefully they can do the same thing and kind of, you know, adjust going forward. Before we get any farther in the show, I want to make sure we give a quick shout out to our sponsors here, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and by Congruity. Uh, thanks to both of those sponsors for supporting this show and all of Inside Carolina's podcast. You touched on it a little bit, but I want to go back to uh, the point you made about sort of the physicality of Villanova. Eric Dixon in particular, he had 34 points. Felt like he was just sort of backing UNC down all game long. Were you surprised that Hubert didn't try to adjust the approach defensively or maybe throw a different look at some of Villanova's players? Yeah, I mean, I... 
you know, it's easy for us to sit on the outside and say, yeah, I think, you know, the number one adjustment that you should make is, okay, if this guy has 20 in the first half, anytime he gets the ball and, you know, the areas that he was scoring go double or send somebody at him and make somebody else score. Um, but, you know, I know for sure they had one or two other guys that were also, you know, very good basketball players that could really, you know, kill you on offense as well. Um, but we don't really know, you know, I don't know a ton about Villanova. You know, they obviously they only hit five threes, but I don't know if that was just a bad shooting game for Villanova or if some of those guys, you know, were just having an off night. Um, so I don't know necessarily if maybe they were worried about doubling and all of a sudden opening up open looks um, or what it might be. I don't know really, you know, those those coaches and, and you know, Coach Davis, they watched and, and prepared for this game. So I can't sit here and say they should have done this, should have done that. I think going forward, I'm sure you will see more of, okay, if a guy gets it going, we got to go double them and just hope that, you know, we make somebody else make a, make a shot or somebody else make a play that can't do that. Um, but for this particular game, I mean, I think it's, it's tough, you know, plus there's not many teams. Another thing fans don't really realize there's not many teams that play like Villanova. You know, you, you look at how they play offense, they control the pace, you know, when they drive something as simple as when they drive into the paint, they always play off a jump stop. So they're always controlled. They're always, you know, they're always looking to pivot, pivot, pump fake. Like there's always so many little things that you don't usually have to play against when you play against Villanova. And then you add on the fact that they're super physical. They've got some upperclassmen that have been around for a while. Um, and so it's just, it's a combination of things that you're just, you know, not necessarily used to or ready to see yet this, especially this early in the season. So, you know, I think, you know, you could have done that. I think there's a lot of times, you know, Harrison, I thought played unbelievable, but he only shot eight shots, you know? And so I think, you know, obviously it still goes through RJ and Mondo. I'll stick to that. But I think when you watch a guy that's playing as well and as high of a level as Harrison is playing, I think he needs to be a little bit more involved within the offense. Um, so I think those two things I think are, are, are adjustments that I think they can make going forward. But like I said, I think Coach Davis and them, obviously they prepare and they get ready for these games more than, you know, we do as watching fans and just kind of breaking some stuff down. So I'm sure once they go back and look at this film, they'll definitely have things that, that they'll change going forward. But I think they'll be able to figure it out perfectly fine. Yeah, and Villanova presents some unique challenges to it. Their size, specifically Justin Moore, 6'5", Eric Dixon, 6'8", Tyler Burton, 6'7", TJ Bamba, 6'5", Jordan Longino, 6'5". So they've just got a lot of big guys as well, and that presented, I think, some matchup challenges for UNC, maybe that they won't see in every single game. I want to hit on the fouls as well because there are a few key uh, players from North Carolina who fouled out. So when you're kind of telling the story of this game, you have to mention that Harrison Ingram fouled out with 344 left in the second half. Jalen Withers fouled out with 307 left. And then Elliot Cadeau fouled out with four minutes left in overtime. How did the game change after some of those players fouled out? Well, you know, I think, you know, and as we're as we're going through this, obviously, you know, to everybody putting stuff in the comments, I think it's um, you know, everybody's takes and things like that are you know, kind of your opinion. I think one of the big things that, you know, that the referees started calling the game a little bit, um, a little bit differently than how they were calling it. Obviously they shot 32 free throws. So they were, you know, they made 32 at least they, so they were shooting the whole entire game at the free throw line. Um, 
But the problem is when a team is the most physical team and they're the initiators all game long, eventually the calls are just going to start going in the direction of whoever the initiator is. And so I think that's why you started seeing all of these fouls start piling up on guys because North Carolina never really had a, a, a time in there where they were the ones that hit first. And so anytime, you know, Villanova drove, they were going right into, you know, North Carolina's body every single time. So either you're drawing a foul or North Carolina's backing up and you're getting a, a wide open layup, as opposed to whenever you look at, you know, for instance, you know, obviously, you know, I hope everybody, for one, I hope Cormac is, you know, his ankle is fine and he's able to bounce back quickly. Um, then we saw when RJ kind of took that spill, hopefully he's fine and he can, you know, kind of come right back. Um, but when you look at kind of how RJ was driving in, there was really no contact involved until the Villanova player hit him, you know? And so I think that's kind of why you started seeing some of the fouls, you know, maybe the refs missed some and they were calling some weaker ones. You know, I think there were definitely some calls you look back and it's, you know, okay. I think that was just good physical defense, but Villanova was hitting North Carolina the entire game. And so as the game goes on, the referees always go towards the ones that are being more physical, initiating the contact more. And so I think that's kind of what you saw was, okay, well, every time they drive, they're either getting into the body of North Carolina or their body them at least once or twice to get space. And so the referees are going to go towards that every time. So I think that's what's so tough about it, especially in this kind of game, you know, to see a guy playing so well like Harrison was playing and to foul out. And he was kind of the, you know, when you look at it, other than some of the shots that Cormac hit, he was kind of the main reason North Carolina was in the game the entire game. And so you take a guy like that out with some time left and then go into another five-minute overtime, it's going to be tough to kind of rebound from that and, and somebody step up, you know, um, within that time. Absolutely. I'll run through some of the stats here as well. Uh, Harrison Ingram, 20 points on just eight field goals. R.J. Davis had 23 points. Armando Baycott, eight points, but he had 18 rebounds. He was a monster on the board. And off the bench, Seth Trimble pitched in five points. Let's talk a little bit about Armando Baycott because he did such a good job of controlling the glass in, in this game. UNC needed all the help they could get on the boards. What do you kind of think about his offensive performance today? He didn't have a ton of points. Were you surprised they weren't getting him the ball more late down the stretch of this game? Um, you know, I think sometimes whenever you're in these type of games where it's a, you know, a tight game going down and you know, you've got guys fouling out, you've got certain guys that don't necessarily have it going and things like that. Um, you know, you're just trying to find ways to win, you know, that you kind of get away from how you play um, throughout the, throughout the game and throughout all the other games that you've played. And, you know, it kind of just messes up the the momentum. Plus you add, you know, fouls, guys were going in and out. It felt like all game because they would, you know, they would pick up two fouls and then they would come back in and then they would pick up that third after like two or three minutes. And so they got to go sit back down. So there was really no flow because of the foul calls. And, you know, like I said before, I'm going to stick to it. Um, I've been in games where I've, you know, our team has been the initiator. I've been in games, obviously, like I talk about in that game against Butler, where we weren't. And fouls that would seem like softer called fouls just end up being foul calls because they're the ones that are hitting first every time. And 
you know, whether that's right or wrong, that's just how basketball works. And that's how the referees seem to work when it comes to that aspect of the game. So, you know, I think that's really what just kind of messed up the flow of the game. You know, I think when you watch the beginning and, you know, the first half, obviously, you know, you know, Dixon was playing unreal, but when you look at kind of how, you know, the offense was going for North Carolina, you know, it was kind of free flowing. They had, they were getting good shots. They were getting on transition. Harrison was hitting some shots. Um, you know, even Mondo had a couple, you know, had a couple shots inside and, um, you know, things like that. So it's, you know, once you get to that second half and those fouls start piling up, it just kind of gets tough to keep that rhythm and that, you know, that flow to it. So, I, you know, I think going forward, just not fouling and playing defense without fouling is going to be one of the big things for them. Absolutely. There was one thing I wanted to call out as well in terms of a, a positive. I think Hubert Davis did some really drew up some really good plays uh, towards the tail end of, of the regulation period and, and even into overtime as well. There was one play to get Cormac open for that three-pointer. Uh, it looked like a, a hammer play call where he got a back screen, ran into the corner um, and knocked down that big three. Uh, I believe that was to, to tie the game up uh, late in the game. It was, I think, around 30 seconds left. Um, Justin, if you remember that play specifically, mm -hmm. can you walk us through uh, what you saw on that one and how UNC sort of schemed things up for, for Cormac to get the open shot. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you know, with Elliot, obviously Elliot was in foul trouble all game. So we weren't able to see him kind of play his normal playmaking role. Um, you know, but you know, when you put the ball in, in his hands and you, you draw up a play, you know, it was a simple, you know, you had three guys on one side and you had him with the ball and the big setting a screen, um, and when you have him able to get downhill, um, you know, or was it Elliot or RJ? It was either one of them. When you have it, you have either one of them getting downhill, the defense automatically eyes and body shift directly towards the basketball. And so whenever you're able to, you know, kind of, it's almost like misdirection, you know, it's like, okay, well, we have to be ready for him to drive in and get a layup first and foremost. But when you have other actions behind you know, you have flares. Flares are some of the hardest actions to guard in basketball. When you have a flare, or you have a, you know, a slip out type of screen. It's hard to guard, even if you kind of know it's coming. You know, the hammer screen, which is basically just, a, um, you know, the ball's on the opposite side and they drive baseline and there's a flare screen for the other guy on the other side. That's one of the hardest actions to guard, even if you know it's coming. Um, and so, you know, I think whoever drew that up, you know, I, I don't know who drew it up. I want to give, you know, I want to hope that it's, you know, my man Marcus over there, you know, making his coaching, uh, you know, his coaching debut. Um, but, you know, when you, when you see a play like that, that was an unbelievable ran play, you know, and then a lot of times people going into the next play after they get the stop and they come back down, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm kind of looking at the comments here are saying he should have gotten another shot. Well, the problem is the defense is going to be ready for the guy who just hit the game tying shot to get the ball. So a lot of times what a coach is going to do is use him as a decoy or use him as a screener because he knows he's going to absorb so much attention. And so I think that's kind of what you saw, obviously, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily the shot that, you know, they wanted to get in that possession to end the, you know, regulation. But, um, you know, I thought that, you know, that first play to Cormac is, you know, an unbelievable you know, play drawn up and so hard to guard. And, you know, obviously Cormac, you know, stepped up and knocked down that shot. 
Yeah, I'm going to bring up the Shooting It Straight logo here. If you're enjoying this analysis from Justin, be sure to check out Shooting It Straight podcast, which releases every Thursday during basketball season. Like we talked about at the beginning, this is a special crossover episode. It's also Thanksgiving, so happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Thanks for spending some time with us. Justin, I want to sort of take take us inside the huddle, inside the locker room now. UNC has such a quick turnaround on, on this one. They, they play tomorrow. Um What's sort of that mindset like as a player? How do you kind of flush this one and get ready for the next game? What would be your sort of mindset if you were in the UNC locker room right now? I mean, it's tough. You know, anytime you lose, it's it's definitely going to be hard. And a lot of times you have time to kind of think about it, watch film, make adjustments, um, you know, and, and move on from it and get back in the gym and kind of do that. Well, in these tournaments, you just don't. And, you know, a lot of times people can – you know, players can almost take the next game because they're not necessarily playing for the championship or, you know, playing for, you know, this sort of reward. Um, you know, they can almost take it for granted and just kind of go out there and play. I think after a loss like that, where you're basically bullied almost all game, I guess, for a lack of a better word, um, and the, the other team is just, you know, way more physical, it's almost like, you know, okay, we got to go back out there and get our lick back. You know, we have to basically all of the disappointment and how we played last game, we have to go let this out on whoever we play next. And, you know, you've it's a sharp turnaround, 24 hours, and you're right back in the gym getting to play basketball. And you've got to be able to come out and make adjustments that, you know, hurt you in the last game and continue to doing, do what you did, you know, to help you, you know, get to that overtime and you know, have a chance to win. So, you know, I think it's it's tough in these kind of tournaments, but at the same time, like I said before, these tournaments are all about having as much momentum and taking that momentum throughout the rest of the season. Whether you're winning the tournament or you lost a game, but you know you have one more game to try to get that momentum back up and carry you into you know some more tough games that you have going on. So, if I'm in the locker room, it's it's a matter of okay, this sucks, right? Like I didn't play the way I wanted to play. We didn't play the way we wanted to play, and we, we, we think that we know what we need to change. You know, obviously I think they'll have, you know, the coaches will watch film, break it down and, you know, probably watch some film with some of the players. And, you know, when it goes into the next game, they got to, you know, make the adjustments that they need to make and be able to apply that to what they do on the court, but it's right back turnaround and you get to play basketball again. So you got to take advantage of every opportunity of it. I want to bring up one uh, listener question here. This is from H&H Comics. Uh, Justin, what did you think of the UNC UNC's rotation and minutes allocation in this game? Obviously, like we talked about, that allocation was shifted with some of the foul trouble. Um, but UNC played a lot of guys. What did you think of the rotation tonight? I mean, I thought I liked it. Um, you know, it's hard to really – break it down because of all the fouls you know it's hard for guys to stay on the court and have stretches of playing whenever you're always getting called for a foul or committing a foul but I like it I like Jalen Withers being out there I like Seth coming off the bench and Elliot being out there playing and you know I think one thing is is can Jalen Washington give us a few more minutes I know in this game they were way more physical. Maybe they didn't feel as comfortable having him out there because he's more of a finesse player. And, you know, Dixon was out there. He was one of the main culprits of applying the physicality. 
So, but I think I'm cool with the minutes, you know, and, and until guys step into that role and, and take it over per se, I think the the minutes and the, the rotation is going to look a lot like how it's looking right now. You know, there's not really anybody coming off that bench that has really stepped in and, okay, we, this guy has to be the sixth man for us. So this guy has to play some big minutes for us to be able to win down the stretch. You know, there just really isn't anybody that's played consistently that way. So I think you're going to see the, the rotations look like this a lot and, you know, hopefully they can, you know, somebody can step up and, and help in that manner. But, you know, I, I have no problem with the rotations. I have no problem with who's playing, how much, and, you know, what it looks like, especially in a game like this, you just don't know. You know, I think this is a good game for coaches to be able to see, okay, who really can play for us. You know, you, you look at the end of the game, Paxton play a ton of minutes during throughout the flow of the game, but all of a sudden fouls and he has to come in and play. And he had a, you know, he had a floater there at the end of regulation, I think. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's things like this coaches can look at and say, okay, well, this guy, came to play. He stepped up whenever he was called on and, you know, maybe he needs to have a more of a look, but I think, you know, I'm totally, totally happy with it. Um, you know, and, and like we talked about before rotations, we can make up in our minds what we think rotation should be. You know, we can say Elliot needs to play. He needs to start play 25 plus minutes or Jalen Washington needs to play, you know, split time with Mondo or, we can say all of these things and say that people need to play a certain amount, but we're not there in practice every day. And we don't see what the off season looks like. I said, I talked about this in, in our last episode. So because we're not there every day and we don't see those things, those are important aspects of what a team is, is made up of. You know, how do they play? How do they compete in practice? How are they, how are they executing plays and executing on the defensive end in practice? And we're not there to see that every day. So, it's easy for us to say things, but these people are, you know, there every day. They're in practice. They're watching workouts. They know what they truly have in each player and, and what they can do. So for me, I think you're going to see a lot of rotations just kind of be other than, you know, maybe the, the five or six guys who have played the, the majority of minutes throughout the season. You're going to see kind of a mixture of how the rotation is. And for me, I'm totally okay with that couple last things here before we uh, get out of here. Uh, this is from Jeremiah Holloway, UNC's beat writer. He said that Hubert Davis doesn't have an immediate update on Cormac Ryan, but said he was able to walk around in the locker room. So that's a good sign. Um, you know, we don't want to speculate on anything that happened with that injury, but um, it's possible that maybe Cormac won't play tomorrow if he's, if he's nursing a rolled ankle or something like that. Um, and then I want to speak to tomorrow's game as well. Tomorrow, UNC will meet the loser between Arkansas and Memphis. Number uh, Arkansas is ranked 20th in the country, and, and Penny Hardaway's Memphis team is right on the AP ranking bubble. They're two very good basketball teams. Um, so, Justin, as you look ahead a little bit uh, to tomorrow's game, UNC will be right back out on the court, I believe, at 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, what will you sort of be watching for? What do you want to see uh, to allow UNC to bounce back tomorrow? Yeah, well, I think first and foremost, you know, obviously praying that Cormac's ankle is, you know, if he doesn't play tomorrow, it's, you know, a little roll and he's able to get back to Chapel Hill and, you know, bounce right back, you know, as, as quickly as possible. 
Um, but I think, you know, going back to what we were talking about, these games, you know, you lose a game and it kind of seems like it takes the, you know, the fire out of the tournament. You know, now we're not we're not trying to play for a championship or in a, you know, whatever it is, third, fourth, fifth place game, whatever it might be. And you have to create almost some motivation for yourself. But these are games where you can pick right back up from a game where maybe you aren't as happy of how you played and pick that momentum right back and take it into, you know, a game like we talked about outside of this tournament, you know, against the Kentucky or against, you know, these games that are going to be coming up that are just as difficult, if not harder. And so that's what I'm going to be looking for. I'm going to be looking for guys to bounce back. You know, it's a, it's a third game in three days, which people kind of take that for granted. That's a very difficult thing to do, especially especially after an overtime game too. Exactly. Especially with five extra minutes added to a game that's played as hard and physical as this game was played against Villanova. Plus you're going to be down a man in, in Cormac. So now somebody else has to step up. So these are games that are going to be tougher, but I also want to see how they're able to bounce back. I want to see if they come out more physical and they're the team that hits first and executes in certain situations that maybe they didn't execute today. And, you know, it'll be interesting, I think, for me to kind of watch and see, you know, what adjustments do they make maybe going forward? Obviously, the team that they play next isn't going to be Villanova, but there might be things that maybe this team's watching how Villanova played and they try to do the same things to to UNC. So how what adjustments are they going to make? You know, what adjustments are the players going to make? I think that's what I'm going to be most interested in. And, you know, at the end of the day, they get to play basketball in, in Atlantis, you know, and in the Bahamas. And so just how are they able to respond? Response in basketball is such an important, important key because basketball doesn't go your way all the time. You know, you don't, you don't win, you don't go undefeated. You know, there's, there's, there's so many teams that have gone undefeated and lost in the championship game, you know, and it's, it's just how basketball works. There's hills and valleys of it. And how are you going to respond whenever you're in that valley and you have to go back out there and play again? How are you going to respond to that? How are you going to, you know, rally around each other as a team? You know, I think that's what makes really good teams really good is how they respond to bad times. Obviously when everything's going good, it's easy for everybody to, you know, high five everybody, be hype about everything, be happy. But how is it going to go whenever you, you know, allow a team go to the free throw line 36 times and you've got three guys foul out because the other team was the more physical team? You know, how are you going to respond to that? Are you going to come out and play the same way and get hit again and, you know, be in the same situation of, you know, fans complaining about foul calls and all that sort of stuff? Are you going to be the ones that initiate things and, you know, you're going to be the team shooting 36 free throws. How are you, how are you going to deal with that? So as a fan and as a, as you know, as a lover of basketball, that's what I'm going to be looking at, kind of seeing the small adjustments that are made and if they can rally around each other. UNC falls today, 83-81 to Villanova in overtime in the Battle for Atlantis tournament. There's 164 people watching live here, many other people watching Later, we appreciate you spending some of your Thanksgiving uh, with us and, and for uh, supporting the show here. Uh, Justin, I'll give you the floor. Any final thoughts before we get out of here uh, on today's crossover pod, shooting it straight and the post game live? Yeah, I mean, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I hope y'all had an unbelievable time with your family and friends and enjoyed some good food. I know I 
probably ate a little bit too much uh, hanging out with my family, watching the game, watching you football. You might have so, a game uh, this weekend, right? You got to be careful. Man, we play we play tomorrow. So hopefully yeah. I can, uh, you know, hopefully I can sleep this, <laughs> this lunch and dinner off. Um, but, yeah, happy Thanksgiving to everybody who's watching. Obviously, sending all my love to all of y'all that are tuned in and everybody else that's maybe listening, you know, in, in future. Um, you know, I think North Carolina is going to be completely fine. I think, you know, we can sit here and say the refs are bad and this and that, but I think there are a lot of things if you go back and watch the game that North Carolina knows and, and can definitely change and do better. So I think they're going to, they're going to bounce back totally fine. I'm interested to see how that goes tomorrow, but you know, everybody stay safe. Everybody enjoy the rest of their holiday and, uh, appreciate you tuning in. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ, Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner I. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-man. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.